You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've joined us. More than 17,000 people were murdered in the United States in 2017, and there were 261 murders right here in Detroit last year. Each one of those murders carries an unimaginable weight for victims' families and loved ones. But it's also a problem that affects every one of us. Each murder costs society somewhere between 10 and $20 million, according to our next guest. And we also don't expect the cost in dollars or in suffering to be proportionate across society. It's by far the leading cause of death, murder, for young black men. So what are some real solutions to this problem? And are we talking about this problem in a way that generates those solutions and focuses our efforts on that. That's where we want to continue the conversation here on Detroit Today. And joining us now to talk about it is Thomas Apt. He is a Harvard University Senior Research Fellow, author of the book Bleeding Out, The Devastating Consequences of Urban Violence and a Bold New Plan for Peace in the Streets. Thomas Apt, welcome to Detroit Today. It's a pleasure to be with you. Yeah. So uh, talk about where we are when it comes to the problem of urban violence in 2019. Sure. Uh, in 2019, uh, there's good news and there's bad news. Uh, the good news is that if you look back 25 years across the nation, there's been a remarkable decrease in crime and violence. But if you look back 50 years, we've made no progress whatsoever. And the nation is still an extreme outlier when it comes to uh, homicide and gun violence. We're about seven times more uh, more uh, deadly than other high-income nations, and that's driven by a gun violence rate that's about 25 times higher. Wow. Um, so one of the things that I think is really interesting about uh, your book is that it, it expands, I guess, a bit on the idea of uh, this in the, this decrease in crime overall that uh, America's experienced. I mean, over the last several decades, uh, crime has gone down precipitously overall. Uh, you talk about uh, the spaces in which that hasn't been true, where there is a, a, a counter trend and a really, really profound counter trend. Um, uh, and, of course, that's extremely relevant right here uh, in the city of Detroit. Absolutely. Uh, unfortunately, this national trend um, has not reached uh, many of the most disadvantaged communities uh, across the country. And while uh, the vast majority of us uh, live today in uh, relative safety, um, many of the most disadvantaged and disenfranchised uh, and poor communities of color all across the nation are still suffering with egregiously high rates of urban violence. And and in the book, uh, you talk about why that persists. Uh, help our listeners understand what this, what this contrast really is about. Sure. Uh, I, I trace uh, the high rates of, uh, of urban violence in these poor communities of color uh, all the way back to, uh, you know, the, the nation's ugly racial history, um, complete with uh, systemic discrimination, particularly around uh, racial segregation, um, racially restricted covenants, redlining, and things like that, where uh, poor people of color were systematically uh, locked into certain neighborhoods and then 
uh, resources were systematically drained from those resources. And when that happens over generations, uh, over multiple generations, and concentrated poverty builds up, ultimately you have social dysfunction and high rates of crime and violence. Yeah. Um, I want to read uh, a couple uh, sections uh, from the book during the interview, but I want to start with one that um, that talks about this idea of cost, uh, which is a really interesting uh, uh, dynamic that you introduce into the, into the book. Uh, you say, every murder causes immeasurable suffering. No statistic can capture a child's lost potential or a mother's grief. But when the collective costs of murder are estimated, they are staggering, anywhere from $173 billion to $332 billion in criminal justice and medical costs, lost wages and earnings, damaged and devalued property, and diminished quality of life. That's between $531 and $1,020 per American, paid out in higher taxes, higher insurance premiums, and lower property values. And that's just the price of homicide, the human and economic costs of all violent crime run even higher. This idea of trying to quantify the cost of crime, I thought, I thought was um, was really interesting and and different. Tell us, tell us how you came to think of it in those terms, and then how you came up with those numbers. Well, I think it's important uh, for your audience to understand that while uh, the you know the people who are directly threatened. By violence uh, are living in uh, in these disadvantaged communities. We're all paying a very significant price uh, for that violence, and that happens through increased taxes, uh, decreased property values, increased insurance values, and decreased economic activity. Ultimately, violence causes fear, and fear causes avoidance. People don't go to neighborhoods that they believe are dangerous. They, don't, they won't work there. They won't uh, buy things or uh, purchase things there. They won't enjoy uh, um, services there. And so the cost of, uh, of, those, uh, of that fear and avoidance is um, enormous when it translates into things like property values. And so what I argue in the book is if you can have a significant impact on urban violence, which I believe you can, that there will be a peace dividend in the form of the uh, increased tax revenues, increased property values that can then be spent and reinvested into these communities. Mm. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guest is Thomas Apt. He's a Harvard University Senior Research Fellow and author of a book called Bleeding Out, The Devastating Consequences of Urban Violence and a Bold New Plan for Peace in the Streets. Apt is uh, also uh, a, policy, a former policymaker in the Barack Obama's Justice Department, and he worked for New York Governor Andrew Cuomo overseeing all criminal justice and homeland security agencies in that state. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. Tell us, does urban violence affect you? And if it does, tell us how. Are you somebody who lives in an area of our city here that uh, sees a lot of violence? And are you concerned about how that violence how that violence affects you and your family? Or if you're someone who doesn't live in areas like that, but uh, the, the violence that exists here in the city influences the way that you live, the things that you will do or not do, the places you will go 
or not go. Um, how has this issue touched your life? Uh, and if you don't think it affects you, do you still want to see some action from public officials to get control of crime and violence in, in cities like Detroit? Or do you just have other priorities uh, when you cast your vote? Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, uh, and we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, uh, Thomas, in your book, you spend a lot of time uh, focusing on the perpetrators of these crimes, who they are, um, why they do what they do, and how we might uh, how we might intervene. Um, uh, can you talk some about this role uh, of toxic masculinity in the American urban violence crisis? Sure. Uh, you know, um, obviously the uh, overwhelming majority, uh, as high as 90 percent, of perpetrators of uh, homicide are men. Uh, and so, and uh, the vast majority of victims, not nearly as high as 90%, but the clear majority of victims are also men. So uh, masculinity is obviously uh, playing a role, but I prefer to think about the issue uh, more in terms of trauma. Um, the, the young men who are at the highest risk uh, for uh, urban violence, either as a victim or as a perpetrator, have been uh, candidly uh, through hell and back. Uh, they have often suffered from multiple forms of victimization. They've often been shot multiple times. Uh, they've uh, witnessed family violence, community violence, school violence, and they are uh, hypervigilant as a result of that. They are able to go from zero to 60 uh, in the blink of an eye. And so dealing with that uh, toxic stress that results from that trauma through uh, various uh, evidence-informed therapeutic approaches is really important because it helps these young men take a moment before they react uh, violently. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Let's go to Ryan on the east side. Ryan, welcome to Detroit Hi. Today. Uh, good morning to you all. Um, I just wanted to give my unique perspective um, uh, regarding urban violence, specifically in the city of Detroit. So um, I grew up without a grandfather because he was murdered on the west side of Detroit. Uh, I also, and I actually never got a chance to meet him. Um, along with that, I had an uncle who was murdered uh, on the east side of Detroit as well uh, in the early 90s. Um, but along with that, I've also, you know, worked in a what uh, the city has called uh, the Red Zone, which is 48205. Sure. And I, I've had this, this unique perspective of seeing uh, urban violence in school children. Um, and there's a few things that I, that I want to note are what I think are triggers to that. Um, you know, when you're, when you are of little means, you know, um, social currency becomes, you know, something that is very, uh, very big to you. Mm. So you have to have this standing in, in the hood. You know, you don't want to be seen as soft. So, of course, you, you fight. Um, you know, we also have the broken glass theory where that violence just becomes uh, regular. It, it, it is not, you know, a... a it, it it just is 
its own being. It becomes just a part of the culture there. Um, and also, you know, when, when you are of little means, you don't really get to go outside of your neighborhood. So your scope uh, is very, very narrow. You don't get to see the, the world as it is outside of your neighborhood. So that violence just compounds because you don't have the the, the knowledge or, or even sometimes the compassion that you may get from seeing people uh, from different neighborhoods, from people from different cultures, uh, and, you know, to interact with them so that you can come up with this this, this moral compass that uh, a lot of times is missing in, in urban America. You know, I, I do want to say that I, I'm glad that the, the uh, speaker brought up toxic masculinity, but there's also toxic feminine femininity in, in you know, Detroit. Uh, you know, we've got women fighting. We've got girls fighting in the schools. And a lot of times it is all based on their, their social currency, their social status, just trying to, because they don't have means and they can't show uh, any other way, they have to, you know, become a, 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 a social being, yeah. almost like getting likes on social media, sure. which I think is also a big portion of, uh, uh, and, and, you know, what pushes our I don't want to say it like this, but I guess pushes the violence meter, you know, to it to its full potential. Yeah, yeah. No, I, Ryan, I I am really glad you called. Uh, I'm first of all really sorry about the the losses you've experienced, uh, and and I think that's a really important part to add to this conversation. Is that this is this is something that you know, as Detroiters, we deal with all the time, every day. Uh, none of us uh, is is completely insulated from the ways in which violence shape life here in the city. So I, I, I want to say, uh, you know, uh, that I'm very sorry that you had to experience that, but I'm glad you called and shared that experience. Uh, Thomas Apt, the, the, the part of the city he's talking about is, uh, you know, a neighborhood on the east side where uh, an inordinate number of the murders that are committed here in Detroit each year uh, uh, are committed, but but Ryan touched on a lot of things there that I would imagine that uh, you you would uh, want to respond to. Yeah, uh, first of all, uh, Ryan, and I'm so sorry for your loss uh, or losses. Um, second, um, I think you've uh, hit on uh, a lot of important points uh, based on on your experiences, but I do want to also note that there is some good news uh, coming out of Detroit. Uh, you know, um, uh, hom- the homicide rates are down. And actually, um, Detroit is using one of the most effective anti-violence strategies that I identify in the book called Detroit Ceasefire. Mm. And uh, that that program to date has been uh, pretty successful. Uh, your police chief, uh, James Craig, Craig, credits it with a lot of the city's success in bringing violence down. Um, when I was in the Obama administration, I actually worked closely with a team from Detroit to bring that program to Detroit. And so it's very exciting to see uh, those efforts bear fruit. So I just want to point out that uh, while, while violence touches many, so many people in Detroit, uh, there is progress being made. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk with Thomas Apt about solutions to the urban violence crisis. Uh, he lays those out in his book. We will have him lay, an out, lay them out for you, the listeners, next. We will also get to more of your phone calls. Gene in Detroit, Brian in Detroit, Teresa in Detroit. We will get you into the conversation next as well. Stay with us on Detroit Today. Detroit Today. 
Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you have joined us. My guest is Thomas Apt, a Harvard University Senior Research Fellow and author of a book called Bleeding Out, The Devastating Consequences of Urban Violence and a Bold New Plan for Peace in the Streets. Uh, Apt is also a former policymaker in Barack Obama's Justice Department, and he worked for New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, overseeing all criminal justice and homeland security agencies in that state. If you want to join the conversation, uh, call and tell us about your experience with urban violence. Uh, Is that something that unfolds around you uh, regularly here in the city of Detroit? Even if it's not, is it something that influences the way you live your life in terms of where you go, what you do, and what would you like to see public officials do about this issue. Um, uh, There are lots of solutions laid out uh, in Thomas App's book, but I would love to hear from listeners also uh, about your ideas. Uh, Thomas, I want to talk to you about your ideas about uh, uh, how to fix this, but before we get to that, I want to read from uh, a late chapter in your book about redemption and recovery, which I think uh, is is kind of a foundation uh, uh, underneath uh, or on top of which you, you, you lay some of your ideas. You say this chapter offers stories of redemption and recovery to demonstrate that even when a person delves deeply into darkness, it is possible to return to the light. Some say that rehab- rehabilitation is impossible once a person is caught up in the cycle of violence. Quote, if you don't get to these kids early, they are lost forever, they say. Focus on the next generation, they advise. These stories show this simply is not so. And you go on to detail uh, some, some narratives there about people who have, who have turned things around. But uh, you talk in much of the rest of the book about an approach to the idea of uh, interceding in the cycle of violence and, and, and stopping it. Uh, give us some, some ideas of how you think that should be done. Sure. Um, when you're working with people at the highest risk for violence, you know, either um, as shooters or uh, as uh, potential victims of shootings, uh, you, you need to uh, take a completely different approach than you might for, some, uh, for someone else. These are, these are people who are heavily traumatized. Um, have been through a lot, often have never uh, held, uh, you know, uh, a steady employment, um, are not, are not well ed- educated. And, uh, and so the normal types of programming doesn't work for them. And it's very important that in addition to accountability uh, and making clear that there will be consequences for future violent behavior, that we really try to meet them where they're at. And that means... Um, can't addressing their most immediate needs first, uh, you know, helping them uh, get an ID, uh, arranging for a safe surrender if they've got open warrants, uh, dealing with past fees and fines or child support or those types of things. All of those things, people need to be stabilized before they can be treated and assisted and, you know, hopefully uh, engaged with uh, a job or, uh, or education or something like that. And the other thing that's very important is they really need uh, treatment, uh, as I said before, for their trauma. 
And uh, the most effective strategy is something called cognitive behavioral therapy, which is a very practical way to address how problematic thinking leads to problematic, in this case, violent behavior. And how are we doing with that? I mean, how are we doing with the idea of attacking this in a way that will actually make uh, for different outcomes? Well, you know, there's good news and bad news. Uh, The good news is that there are strategies uh, like uh, uh, the one uh, being used in Detroit, Detroit Ceasefire, or like cognitive behavior or like hotspots policing that have been demonstrated across the country uh, to produce results. And uh, many times you can get those results while at the same time uh, reducing arrests and incarceration. The bad news is that despite this success, these programs don't get enough attention and they don't get enough support. And so while and that was a big part of this book is to get the word out on what can actually be done, because there's a lot of deep, uh, deep discouragement and pessimism about what can be done to uh, address urban violence. Too many people think the only way to reduce violence is to end poverty or eradicate racism or to end inequality or to get everyone a job. Those things are all extremely important, but we don't have to wait on those massive struggles. We can start saving lives right now. Uh, Let's go back to the phones here. Uh, Gene in Detroit. Gene, welcome to the show. Uh, good morning, Stephen. Hey. Uh, I concur with uh, your guest, the professor, regarding a lot of the root causes that, uh, for some reason or other, uh, our political and economic structures never seem to address that exacerbate uh, not only crime but murders uh, in cities like Detroit. I recall the uh, 1971-72 effort of the Black Student Psychological Association at Wayne State that tried to organize a study in the wake of the 67 insurrection of the spike in murders, uh, particularly among the African-American community mm-hmm. on other African-Americans uh, that uh, for some reason was never funded, was never supported. but. One of the things that is exacerbating uh, the situation in Detroit right now is the uh, effects of uh, what happened 10, 12 years ago with uh, the mortgage meltdown that, that's resulted in uh, the lack of housing, uh, the continued evictions, uh, and the turbulence that causes when, when uh, one doesn't have a permanent residence going from place to place, uh, the housing insecurity, which is one of the bedrock issues that uh, is not being addressed by the city and and is one of the things that uh, uh, trying to get enforcement around the nuisance abatement repair to own ordinance addresses uh, affordable housing. Thank you. Gene, uh, I really appreciate the call uh, and always uh, your, your insights here. Uh, I want to get to a couple other callers before we run out of time here. Uh, let's go to Inez on the west side of Oakland County. Welcome to the show. Yes, thank you, Mr. Stephen Henderson. It's always a pleasure to uh, listen to you. Thanks. And I am understanding everything that is uh, being spoken on here, and I truly agree with the gentleman that uh, just spoke. 
uh, the issue that I'm having is that I feel that we do need to hold our public officials uh, more accountable accountable, as well as we need more transparency, uh, because a lot of these things are affecting our youth. Uh, currently, it's affecting me as a homeowner. Um, I was just uh, speaking to someone about this. I went to a city council meeting yesterday. I'm a true Detroiter, born and raised. I live in Oakland County now, so it's really just not happening in the city. And so I'm speaking to that, sir, because uh, I reached out to my uh, local police department as well, and I think there's some issues there when it comes to even our race. We need to have, again, more transparency in the way that my race is being treated as well as, uh, yeah. you know, there should be other things that can happen with the way that they handle sure. uh, and as, the people uh, that's, yes. Yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna run out of time, but I'm not, uh, I don't want to cut you off, but I do want to have uh, Thomas Apt, uh, talk a little about the racial dimension. We've got about a minute left, but uh, race, of course, drives so many uh, of these of these issues. Absolutely. Uh, race is everywhere in this work, and you have to account for it uh, when you're addressing uh, urban violence. I think the, the one of the key things uh, that I articulate in the book, I set out three anti-violence strategies, uh, focus, balance, and fairness. The last one, fairness, really relates to this race question, which is that anything you do in relation to urban violence, uh, whether you're working in law enforcement or you're uh, providing social services, it has to be seen by impacted communities and impacted community members uh, who are disproportionately uh, poor people of color. Um, it has to be seen as fair and legitimate by them. And that means that they have to be consulted in advance and made part of the process. Yeah, they have uh, to that's be. That's very important. That's right. It has to be built from the community, not imposed on it. Um, Thomas Abt, thanks very much for being here with us on Detroit Today. This was a great conversation. My pleasure. That's going to do it for me today. I'll be back tomorrow when we talk about home equity theft. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.